We begin this episode with the man who was at the center of our last podcast, Charles Revson, the head of Revlon, a client who exercised an iron hand over the game show Revlon sponsored, the $64,000 question, and the one that Revlon co-sponsored, the $64,000 challenge. Both programs were extremely popular in the mid-1950s and extremely controlled. But to Revson, ethics didn't matter as long as Revlon's sales kept skyrocketing. Revson's next move was to take an option on the Monday night time slot on NBC that was opposite I Love Lucy on CBS. The plan was for a new show, The Most Beautiful Girl in the World, a beauty contest that would last an entire season. But there was a catch. The show would have to have a panel of judges, and Revson didn't like the idea of a show that he couldn't manipulate. So Revlon dropped its option on the NBC time slot, and it went to a company called Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, the makers of Geritol Iron Tonic and Geritol Jr. for the kids. The company was already sponsoring a big money quiz on Wednesday nights called 21, So they moved it into the Monday slot, and 21, which will become perhaps the most notorious quiz of the quiz show scandals, begins its rise up the ratings ladder, in the process forever damaging the reputation of its best-known contestant, Charles Van Doren. I'm starting to think that maybe we should do a potluck thing. Potluck, potluck. The potluck is going really great. A potluck. Seriously. Seriously. This is the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck. Welcome to the Potluck. I'm David Inman. This is part two of our season finale on the quiz show scandals of the 1950s. And in this episode, we turn to 21. 21 premiered in the fall of 1956, coming to TV in the wake of the success of the $64,000 question, which we dealt with in our previous episode. But where the rigging of the $64,000 question was subtle, much of it based on writing questions to fit the knowledge of the contestants, the producers of 21 deliberately directed contestants to take dives or to purposely answer questions incorrectly, or to purposely tie game scores to keep the suspense growing from week to week. They were even told when and how to hesitate before answering a question, or when to dramatically dab sweat from their brows. It didn't begin that way, according to the show's MC Jack Barry. In 1984, he told his story for a PBS documentary. In the first few weeks of 21, we didn't resort to the practice of rigging, but after the third or fourth week, we had contestants who missed every question, and it was painful. And the sponsor and the advertising agency called and said, don't ever let that happen again. Well, with my background and knowing what had gone on on every other program, I said, don't worry, it won't ever happen again. And it didn't. We gave help to the contestants that we felt we wanted to win. It was a standard common practice. The $64,000 question had one isolation booth. 21 had two. 
A contestant entered each booth. Barry would announce a category, and each player would choose a question worth from 1 to 11 points based on its difficulty. Neither player knew what the other was doing, and if a player thought he or she had more points than the opposing player, that player could quit at any time, and the one who reached 21 points first was the winner. Even with the rigging, the contestants who win on 21 were largely failing to catch the public's imagination, unlike the winners on the $64,000 question. And then came Herbert Stemple. Stemple is unemployed and a self-proclaimed genius with a photographic memory who often spends his days at the movies. He doesn't have the warmth of Gino Prado or the sassiness of Merck Power or the straight arrow style of Captain Richard McCutcheon, all well-known contestants on the $64,000 question. When Stemple and 21 host Jack Barry get together, it's like a meeting of two morticians. But Stemple seems to know his stuff, and during the fall of 1956, he beats one contestant after another and gets a reputation for his intelligence, if not his personality. Even so, Stemple is putty in the hands of the producers of 21. Answer incorrectly on this question? Fine. Stammer before uttering that answer? No problem. Dress a certain way? Sure. Stemple himself tells his story. That I'm going to have you on the program tomorrow night, and he said, I'm going to fix you up with a wardrobe I want you to wear. He went to um, my closet and he found an old suit which had belonged to my deceased father-in-law, which was a real, real baggy old suit, about two sizes too big, and uh, a real uh, a real grungy-looking suit. And he says, this is the suit I want you to wear tomorrow. Then he went to my... Uh, drawer and he pulled out an old frayed blue and white shirt and he says this is the shirt you're going to wear. Then he went and found a very very terrible looking tie and said this is the tie you're going to wear. Then he said "Uh, have you got a watch another watch you know because I was wearing a quiet watch. So I went to the drawer and I had an old Timex watch that ticked like an alarm clock and this is the watch that he picked out and wanted me to wear because when I was on the program, the watch was close to the microphone and this was supposed to build up the suspense by having this loud watch ticking away. The people behind 21 stick with Stemple until the late fall of 1956 when a more cultured, charming contestant enters the picture. Good evening. I'm Jack Barry. Tonight here on 21... Herbert Stemple, our 29-year-old GI college student, can win $111,500, the highest amount of money ever to be won on television. But to do this, he's risking much of the money he has won thus far. So right now, let's meet our first two players as Geritol, America's number one tonic, presents 21. From New York City, Mr. Charles Van Doren, and returning with $69,500 from Forest Hills, New York, Mr. Herbert Stemple. From that moment on, Herbert Stemple knew his days were numbered. The first time I ever saw Charles Van Doren was he was waiting in the wings across from me, 
And I made it a, my business not to talk to anybody, you know, behind the scenes. But once I heard his name was Charles Van Doren, I immediately knew the name Van Doren, and I assumed that I was going to be a cook goose, you know, that they were grooming him to take my place. I just had a feeling, in other words, that I had just about reached the end of my rope, so as to speak, and they were planning to bring this guy in as the new champ. What was it about him that, 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 you, that you thought they saw? Just the name. Just the name. I knew who the family was, of course. His uncle, uh, Carl Van Doren, wrote a definitive biography of Benjamin Franklin. His father, of course, Mark Van Doren, was a Nobel Prize winner and a... Uh, a professor at uh, at Columbia University, his mother Dorothy, I had heard of all. So I knew it was a very preeminent literary family, and I just felt uh, that uh, they were uh, grooming me to take the fall. Charles Lincoln Van Doren will settle into a long stay as the champion on 21, but not before he and Herbert Stemple dueled to a tie in several rigged games, carrying on the suspense and the high ratings for several weeks. Van Doren finally defeats Stemple on the 21 broadcast of December 5, 1956. It comes down to one question for Stemple, one he knows almost as well as his own name. It's about one of his favorite movies, Marty. But he is told to answer incorrectly. Herb Stemple, you have 16 points. The category is movies and movie stars. How many points do you want to try for from 1 to 11? I'll try 5. Which would give you 21 points if you get this right, and you will be the winner again. Because this is a critical moment. If you need some extra time, you can have it. You ask, let me make it sure again, you ask for 5 points. All right. What motion picture won the Academy Award for 1955? You need some extra time to think about it? Uh, I sure do. I'll tell you when your time is up. Your time is up, Herb Stemple, for five points, which would give you 21. What motion picture won the Academy Award for 1955? guess at it? If not, I'll have to call it wrong, Herb. On the waterfront? No, I'm sorry. The answer is Marty. Marty. You lose five points. It puts you back down to 11. Better luck on the next round. If you watch the clip on YouTube, you can see Stemple's visceral dislike at having to throw the game. But he does it. Van Doren is the new champion on 21. For TV viewers, it's as if a rather unpleasant house guest has finally left and a long-lost son has been welcomed home in his place. Van Doren becomes an instant celebrity. His picture appears on the cover of Time magazine and TV Guide. In January 1957, 21 moves into the Monday night time slot on NBC that Revlon dropped. Now the show is up against I Love Lucy on CBS. 
the nation's number one show for the past five years. But the producers aren't worried. They have Van Doren. It's hard today in our celebrity-saturated culture to understand the impact Charles Van Doren had on America during the winter and spring of 1957. A man of modesty and of modest means, he exemplified intelligence, hard work, warmth, practicality, and good humor. In short, just what all Americans like to think they exemplify. And with Van Doren as champion, 21 does what no NBC show has ever done. It beats I Love Lucy in the ratings. Van Doren receives thousands of marriage proposals in the mail, which he shyly tells Jack Berry about on the air. The sponsor also loves Van Doren, or at least the high ratings and sales he brings. Pharmaceuticals Incorporated crams so many commercial spots into the show that it gets into trouble with the FCC. Van Doren finally leaves the show in March 1957 with a record $129,000, and he immediately goes to work for NBC TV. He appears as a guest on The Steve Allen Show, he moderates a news special or two, and he's given special segments to talk about anything he wants, even 17th century poetry, on which he's an expert, on Dave Garraway's Today Show. Watching Van Doren's star ascend is Herbert Stemple. As a result of bad investment advice, he's largely squandered his winnings on 21. He goes to Dan Enright, producer of the show, and gets some vague assurances of help. But Stemple also threatens blackmail, and then approaches a newspaper reporter with his story. Nothing comes of it for the time being. Stemple also learns when Van Doren's preordained fall will come, and he bets heavily against him. Van Doren loses, and Stemple wins $10,000, courtesy of his old nemesis. Everything starts coming apart in the summer of 1958, but not on 21. It begins on another quiz show, Dotto, when one contestant discovered that another one was given answers beforehand. When the producers don't pay the first contestant enough hush money, he goes to the New York City District Attorney, and an investigation begins. When that happens, the reporters who were approached by Herbert Stemple are suddenly interested in talking to him again, and on August 28, 1958, his allegations appear in the pages of the New York World Telegram, sparking a psychological battle between 21 MC Jack Berry and producer Dan Enright, and the man who was once putty in their hands. Enright tells the media that in early 1957, after Stemple left the show, he tried to blackmail them. In a dramatic news conference held a few days later, Barry and Enright play a tape recording of a meeting between Enright and Stemple, where Stemple admits piddling away almost $50,000 worth of prize money and answers yes to Enright's assertions of blackmail. Stemple claims the tape is doctored. Barry and Enright also strongly infer that Stemple is unbalanced and needs psychiatric treatment. Only years later would Enright admit, there was always the fear lurking that somehow the story would be exposed and we would be revealed, and that kept gnawing at us, but after a while you rationalize that by thinking to yourself, what contestant would reveal that he played a part in the rigging? 
And certainly we would not reveal that. We never took into account that a contestant might reveal his role in the rigging because he might be subjected to such trauma and such hurt that it would overcome whatever reluctance he had to tell the truth. Trauma and hurt may have certainly played a role in Stemple's allegations, but like the Dotto contestant who spilled the beans to the DA, Stemple was also angry because although he knew a quiz show's dirty little secret, he wasn't profiting from it as much as everyone else. By now, the district attorney's office is regularly quizzing members of Dotto and of 21, including Charles Van Doren. I never got any kind of hint or help, Van Doren tells the New York Times. Most of the shows are absolutely on the up and up. A grand jury is convened as a result of the DA's investigation, and over 200 people are called, including Charles Van Doren, who again denies that 21 is rigged. But one other 21 contestant provides striking proof to the contrary. James Snodgrass comes before the grand jury and brings with him a certified letter, still unopened. He mailed the letter to himself just before his appearance on 21, and it contains the answers he is to give on the show. The jury opens the letter and compares the contents to the show which aired a few days after the letter was mailed, and the information is a perfect match. Nine months after it began, the grand jury prepares a report that harshly criticizes the producers of the quiz shows who rationalized that the programs were only entertainment and who included children in their rigging. But the judge who impaneled the jury in an unprecedented move ordered the report sealed amid rumors that he was pressured by several high-powered TV producers. There is one body he will release the report to, the U.S. Congress. And so the investigation moves to Washington, D.C., and to the U.S. House Subcommittee on Legislative Oversight. One of the first people to testify before the subcommittee is Herbert Stemple, who says that on the day of his last 21 appearance, he was at home watching TV when he heard an NBC commercial asking, Will Herb Stemple crack the $100,000 mark? And I was sitting there saying, No, he won't. He's going to take a dive tonight. He also told friends he was taking a dive, and even knew when Van Doren would lose. Edward Kletter, vice president of Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, the sponsor of 21, tells the congressional panel that when he heard of the rigging, quote, I was shocked, unquote. Dotto player Antoinette Hellman comes before the panel and says, I was perfectly blithe about the rigging. They were having a happy time. I was, everyone was. A congressman asks her if she thought there was any difference between a battle of fists in a sporting contest and a battle of wits on a game show. Well, she replies, most boxers don't have sponsors. And by now, most sponsors don't have quiz shows. The $64,000 question, the $64,000 challenge, Dotto and 21 have all been canceled. On November 2nd, 1959, Charles Van Doren appears before the subcommittee in a packed hearing room. We don't have film of that appearance, but the 1994 film Quiz Show, directed by Robert Redford, dramatized the story. In the film, Van Doren is played by Ray Fiennes, and the words he speaks before the subcommittee in the movie 
are Van Doren's own. I would give almost anything I have to reverse the course of my life in the last year. The past doesn't change for anyone. But at least I can learn from the past. I've learned a lot about life. I've learned a lot about myself and about the responsibilities any man has to his fellow men. I've learned a lot about good and evil. They're not always what they appear to be. I was involved, deeply involved in a deception. I have deceived my friends, and I have millions of them. I lied to the American people. I lied about what I knew, and then I lied about what I did not know. In a sense, I was like a child who refuses to admit a fact in the hope that it'll go away. Of course, it did not go away. I was scared, scared to death. I had no solid position, no basis to stand on for myself. There was one way out, and that was simply to tell the truth. The congressmen on the panel fall all over themselves congratulating Van Doren for his candor, and they only gently criticize him for his part in the deception. But that afternoon, he's fired by NBC and by Columbia University. He later pleads guilty to second-degree perjury a misdemeanor, for lying to the grand jury. For the moment, editorializes the New York Post, our question is this, how many men identified with the big and little fixes of life, with the spurious commercial, the fake promotion, and all the other articles of financial gamesmanship, are resuming business as usual this morning, now that Charles Van Doren has walked into his lonely exile? Van Dorn's testimony makes the rest of the quiz show hearings seem anticlimactic, and they end on November 6th. The network's promise to end the practice of coaching contestants in any way. The age of the sponsor-dominated program is already beginning to fade, and the scandals hasten its death. Manufacturers with a product to sell begin buying individual commercials on different shows instead of pouring all their money into just one program. Charles Van Doren moves to Chicago, where he goes to work for the Encyclopedia Britannica and becomes a noted historian specializing in the Civil War. Dan Enright, producer of 21 and that show's host, Jack Berry, will hit game show pay dirt again in the mid-1970s with The Joker's Wild. As you heard earlier, Barry broke his silence in 1984 for a PBS documentary about the quiz show scandals, and shortly thereafter, he died of a heart attack while jogging. In 1992, Barry's partner Dan Enright also cleared his conscience for another PBS documentary. For this same program, the filmmakers also enlisted the assistance of Charles Van Doren, who agreed at first, but at the last moment he backed out of the project. He also turns down a chance to be a consultant 
on the movie Quiz Show, despite an invitation from director Robert Redford and an offer of $100,000. The movie is released in the fall of 1994, and it reignites interest in the Quiz Show scandals and in Herbert Stemple, played in the movie by John Turturro. Van Doren refuses comment about the film, except to say that he enjoyed Turturro's performance. Stemple, on the other hand, basks in the limelight again. He's interviewed on Entertainment Tonight and on the same Today Show on which Van Doren had been a regular. For a taping of NBC's Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Stemple returns to Studio 6A, where 21 originated, and challenges Van Doren to a rematch. The years pass and Van Doren remains quiet, but then an article appears in The New Yorker on July 28, 2008. It's titled All the Answers and it's written by Charles Van Doren, speaking for the first time about his involvement in the quiz show scandals and how it shaped his life. The piece ends with Van Doren recalling a gift from his father, poet and critic Mark Van Doren, given right after his congressional testimony. It's a small gyroscopic compass with a card that contained a quote from Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. It says, May this be for you the whirligig of time that brings in his revenges. Van Doren writes, I knew that my father was saying that I too would survive and somehow find a way back. I just hugged him and said, Thank you, Papa. The Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck is written, researched, and narrated by me, David Inman. Thanks for listening. Please consider subscribing to us and rating us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you followed us all through our first season, special thanks to you. We'll be back after the first of the year with new episodes. See you later.